Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Read the Bible like a spiritual book, but also part of this Bible studies. We're going to break it down, you know, and, and kind of look at it as a piece of literature. And so we, we hit on the point of Paul is telling the Romans his intention on writing this letter. And he said in verse 11, I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. We talked about that, that his intention was he wanted to come. He wanted to impart into that church a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about impartation. If you missed that last week, go back and listen to it. It was great. So let's look at verse 12. It says, and when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So I'm going to touch on this for just a moment because I believe it's significant. I want to talk just for a moment about the gifts of the spirit. Paul says something that I feel like we've really gotten away from in the modern church and that I think we need to get back to this. I don't think I know. Because I've really been challenged. You know, when I grew up, I, I didn't grow up just reading the Bible. I didn't grow up really serving and following God. Uh, I remember when I first went to Bible college. I mean, I had no idea what a Jew is, what a Gentile is. And maybe that's some of you. But that's exactly where I was when I went to Bible college. But I remember that I was just so new. You know, I was green. I didn't have religion in, embedded in me. I, still to this day, people come up to me because I'm a pastor. And they're like, Hey, you know, can you tell me what the Presbyterians believe? Can you tell me? And I'm like, I'm going to tell you the God honest truth. You probably know more than I do, because as far as the denominations and the religion and stuff, I just have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. Uh, and so the thing, though, that it did do for me, which was good, was as I began to read this book, I literally began to see what the Bible, the things that the Bible said, and kind of look at the standard of Christianity and look at the church and then compare it, you know, to what we're doing and kind of look at this and think, what the heck? Why is it that this is how they were doing things in the Bible, but this is kind of the thing that we've accepted today? And so I really envy this, but Paul says, he says, I want to encourage you in your faith but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want to give you a few points about the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to touch on just for a moment. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When the gifts are in full operation, everyone is edified. When the gifts are in full operation, everyone is edified. I want to give you a reference. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Look what Paul said. He said, let's summarize Put that on the screen for me. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach. Can you say another? Guys, this is he, Paul is literally talking about a believer's meeting. So I want you to do this with me. Let's read this text and let's compare it to modern day church. Can we do that? What do you think about when you think of modern day church? You have one person, right? 
It's just this one man show. There's one gift in operation. There's one person that's, that's, that the, the, the Spirit is using. And you see that week after week after week. And I can honestly tell you, it's not because man really wants it to be that way. In some circles, you know, it's just because there's a person that, that they like the power, they like the authority, and they don't trust other people. But in, in most cases, it's because people are unlearned when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and how the church service, how the believers meeting is supposed to look. So Paul says, when my, my, when, let's summarize, when you meet together, look at this, one will sing, another will teach, another, say another, will tell some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be to strengthen all of you. I know another translation says that when this is done, everyone is edified. And so I read that, guys, you have a preacher, you have somebody prophesying, you have different parts of the body in operation happening in the same service. So can I tell you something? That I really have a vision for this church. This is not a one-man show. Can you say amen? This is not a one-man show. Write this point down. We're just going to briefly touch on this. There are some that have taken the gift and misplaced it. There are some that have taken the gift and misplaced it. So again, you have this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, one will preach, another will tell a special revelation, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is being said. You know, the Lord actually showed me this. Have you guys ever drove around and looked around and just been like, man, there are so many churches all over the place. Has anybody else ever thought that? I've thought about that. You know, I've thought about what a person in another country that, that Christianity isn't legal, right? Somebody that comes from like the underground church. I've always wondered, what would they think if they came to the United States of America? I can imagine that they would probably show up and their jaws would probably hit the floor because they would be looking around saying, oh my gosh, there's a church over here and a church over here and a church over here. And they would think that it was just like the most amazing, wonderful thing that ever happened. But they, they don't understand that there's so much division today. There's so much division. I've actually asked myself the question because when you read the Bible, God is a God of unity. He says that there's one body. Do you guys know that? That there's actually only one body in the community. But then why is it that churches hate each other? Why is it that churches are in competition with one another? Why is it that, it's, that there's so many things that separate us? Well, you believe this. Well, we believe that. And so, you know, we're going to keep you over here and keep you at arm's length. There's one body. And I've asked myself the question, and, and maybe I'm under this impression. When I come into a town of like 2,000 people and there's 70 different churches, I actually have this thought, Lord, there's no way that all of these churches are here. From, like, there's no way that you planted all of these churches in this little bitty community. Because you actually didn't see that in the book of Acts. You know, you did see different churches, but you saw that there was like, that, you know, there was unity. They worked together. They were in one mind and one purpose. And so the point that I'm getting to that is this is where people have messed up. They have a gift to communicate, and maybe that's you. Maybe God's given you a, a gift to preach. Maybe He's given you the ability to do that. But in 2021, or I should just say our modern generation, 
What a person does is, well, I'm gifted. I can preach. I can teach. I can prophesy. But this, you know, this church already has a leader. So what do they do? They step outside of their church and their ministry and they say, well, I'll just go start my own church. I'll just go start my own ministry. But when you read about this in 1 Corinthians 14, you see that there's, there's, there's in a service, there's literally people preaching, there's people teaching, there's people prophesying. So the Lord told me that. He said that there's some that have taken their gift and misplaced it. Because they had the ability to communicate, they went and started their own thing. When God was never calling them to start their own thing, He was calling them to be a great pillar in the church that they were planted in. I really think that there's a lot of people, and they are gifted, they are anointed, they have the ability to preach and to communicate and do all of that. That's great and wonderful. But God never called them to like pastor their own church, and all it does is just create more divisions and more separations. God gave them that gift, and it was actually supposed to be used in the body that they were planted in, but we don't make room for it. Y'all still with me? These are just random points about the gifts. Write this point down. Each person has a gift. Each person has a gift. 1 Corinthians, flip over there real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. I'll spend some time on some of these things because some of the stuff we're going to get to in a minute we'll go through really quick. 1 Corinthians 12. 4 through 11. You know, I, I want to just kind of say this. When the gifts are in full operation, everyone is edified. Guys, I've seen this happen firsthand in our Thursday night prayer meetings that we've had at this church. So if you don't know, some of you that are newer here, uh, for the last like year and a half, we did Thursday night prayer meetings. And so it wasn't just a prayer meeting. We actually changed the name to a believer's meeting because... We literally came together and we said, we're just going to allow the gifts of the Spirit to move. And so what that looked like was it wasn't me just standing up here preaching and teaching a message. It was believers that came together. We came into the presence of God. And then what would take place is somebody would stand up and they would prophesy. And somebody would give a revelation from the Lord. And can I tell you, when we went home that night... It wasn't just a preacher up here preaching a message and other people kind of got something from it. We were all edified in the room. So when the gifts are in full operation in a church, everyone is blessed and everyone is edified. Are y'all with me? So, each person has a gift. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. We'll read this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each. Can you say each? A spiritual gift is given to each of us. So why? So we can help each other. Keep reading. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the Spirit gives the message of uh, a special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives to one person the power to perform miracles and to another the ability to prophesy. 
He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. While another is given... Can you guys say another? Something that you see is that God doesn't give one thing, all things to one person. You see that? To another. One person can have great faith. One person can have the gift of healing. One person... But guys, that's really why we've got to break this mold of just Christians that just come into church and like listen to a message and people begin to actually use, I have a gift that God has given me and if I don't use my gift, the church won't be edified. Do you know that the church can't truly be edified with just one person using their gift? Like, the church cannot be edified with just one, like with the pastor, the preacher. He's the only one that's up there flowing in the anointing while everybody else just kind of lives their lives and then we come together. Don't get me wrong, I love the fact that we come together and, and, and you know, there's teaching of the Word of God, but that's just one small part of it. You have to realize that you are called to more than just your life. There's, there's a bigger calling on your life than just the, the existence of, you know, that you're in, that you just, your routine and your job and your occupation. God has placed something on the inside of you that is needed in order for the church to be edified. Are y'all with me? You know, and, and you actually see that. You know, you see people, they end up leaving a church because they have 15 reasons or 15 things that their pastor's not. Right? I don't like that church because that pastor, he's not this and he's not that and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And can I tell you, honestly, most of the time that you feel that way is because God's actually put it inside of you to be the solution to that problem. Are y'all with me? You know, because we try to put one thing all on one person and God doesn't give everything to one person. A gift has been given to each of you. So, skip down to verse 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. So who decides the gift? The Holy Spirit decides the gift that you have. Guys, I want to tell you, you don't get to choose your gift. God gives you something in His wisdom and in His knowledge, and, and I mean, and, and it works things out in ways that we don't even understand. My point is that there's so many people that spend their whole lives unsatisfied because they're constantly chasing after something that God has given somebody else. You don't just get to, you don't just get to wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a preacher. I think I'm going to go pastor me a church. I think that I'm going to be a prophet, Right? That's what you do. Then you see these people that get on Facebook and they start trying to prophesy and they start saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Apostle Joshua. I'm Prophet Anderson. You don't get to just decide that for yourself. The Holy Spirit is the one who decides that. And I want to tell you guys, you can't give what you don't have. You know, that's what will burn you out in life is trying to give something that you don't have. If I tried, I'm, I want to tell you guys, I'm not a prophet. I listened to this guy, Miss Kim, sent him to me. His name was Robin Bullock. That dude's a prophet. That dude doesn't teach like a pastor teaches. His name's Robin Bullock. Look him up. 
Robin D. Bullock. Great. Anybody ever heard of like Mario Murillo? Ever heard of him? No? Okay, well, good, because we're going to get to that point in a minute. Why? You need to know these things. Like, it's super important. But if you listen to these guys, they're not just pastors. They're different. You know, they, they, like, they teach. When, when I was listening to this guy, Robin Bullock, listening to him teach, I was like, what the heck? Like, I can't even comprehend how you're like, it's great. And I'm like, man, this is powerful what he's saying. But in my mind, I'm like, I can't even comprehend how you're getting that out of like what you're, you know, he would read a scripture and just pull something out of it. And I'm like, never in a million years would my mind have thought to pull that out of that verse. But here's my point. A lot of people try to take that on, right? Well, because they see somebody else and they covet what somebody else has. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to try to imitate. I'm going to try to copy and paste. And then you spend your life actually just giving from an empty bucket. You're trying to give from a cup that's not full. Peter said, freely we've received, so freely we give. What I have, I give to you. That's what he said when he healed the crippled beggar, right? You can't give something that you don't have, and you can't be something that you're not. So, you don't get to choose your gift. Embrace what God has given you. Look at Ephesians 4, 11-13, and I'm about to be done with this little spill on the gifts. We're going to do a series really soon on the gifts of the Spirit and their function in the church. It's going to be really good, but I'm not going to go into full teaching on that tonight. That's not what this is about. Ephesians 4, 11-13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Look, this is just a little nugget of theology. If you ever hear some really spiritual person, theologian, talking about the fivefold ministry, anybody ever heard that? The term fivefold ministry? People are like, what the heck are you talking about? This is the verse that they get the fivefold ministry from. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So there's multiple different gifts in the body, but basically these are kind of like the, the I guess you could say, leadership positions in the body of Christ. Not everybody's a pastor. That, that, when you read this, don't think everybody has to fit into one of these five things because there's people that aren't, they're not called into the fivefold ministry. There's people that, you know, they may be called to be a plumber, and, and that's great. They're called to plumb, they're called to serve the Lord. They're called to be a great Christian, and God has given them a gift. But they're not called like occupationally with their life, with their purpose to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, or pastor. So, God has given these gifts. Can you say gifts? Look what it says. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So kind of, let me give you another little nugget here. There's a lot of different teaching right now that, that's out that tells people that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. Well, this verse right here debunks that because it says the gifts will continue until we come to uh, until we come to the complete and perfect standard of Jesus Christ. 
Do you know that when are we going to come to the complete standard of Jesus Christ? When are we going to kind of finally hit that mark? When is that going to take place? When Jesus Christ comes back and we go up and we're transformed, we receive glorified bodies, we enter into glory, we'll, we'll, we'll step into that place. And then you see, when we get into heaven, we're not going to need apostles and prophets and teachers. and pa We're going to have full knowledge and understanding. We'll be with, we'll be with Jesus himself. Amen. We won't need somebody teaching us about Jesus. He'll be right there, which we have the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other thing. But it says their point is to build up the church. So I want you to get this point. The gifts build the church. So let's actually flip that around. The church cannot be built up without the gifts. Any church including new beginnings that doesn't have the gifts in operation cannot be built up. So what does that mean, guys? That means that really, as my, my responsibility as a pastor is to discern these things, is to lead people, to feed the sheep, but to, to, to teach the Word of God and put these things on the inside of you and then give you room and give, give you space and give you a platform to use the gift that God has given you. So I really want you to start pushing yourself. What has God placed on the inside of me? Because He gave it to me for a reason. He gave it to me on purpose. And, and, and without me using my gift, the church can never accomplish the full purposes of God in the earth. It's heavy. I mean, it's, it's really true. There's a responsibility. The church can't grow without the gifts. I want you to write this last point down. You need a balanced diet of the fivefold ministry. I thought about this. You know, somebody has to build the boat. Someone finds the fish. Right? What does the apostle do? The apostle puts the boat together. He builds it. He takes the wood and the hammer and he builds it. Someone finds the fish. What is, who is that? The prophet. Right? Someone catches the fish. Who catches the fish? An evangelist. Someone cleans the fish. Who cleans the fish? Pastors. Someone cooks the fish. Who does that? Teachers. Here's my point. Most people, they only sit underneath. Like all they know is their pastor. All they know is their local pastor. They don't, they're not connected with any prophetic ministry, any teaching ministries, any evangelistic ministries. If you only eat one thing, you're going to be malnourished in your life. You've got to plug into this and sit underneath a prophet's ministry, a teacher's ministry, an apostle's and evangelist's ministry. I do that all the time. You know, for about a year, I would, sit, I would just sit and soak and listen to evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth because he was an evangelist. And he has a specific anointing that, that, that is unique to an evangelist. And God had a deposit that he said, I want you to get this deposit from this. Then I remember whenever I really notably felt a season change and the Lord really kind of started directing me towards like a prophet's ministry. You know, you need to receive this deposit. If you just sit underneath one thing, you're going to be malnourished. Are you guys with me? So that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, I want to come and I'm going to release the gifts of the spirit and you're not going to only be edified, I'm going to be encouraged as well. So you see that in order for the church to function correctly, you have to have the gifts of the Spirit in operation. 
So let's keep reading. Verse 13. Back to Romans chapter 1. Verse 13, he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among the other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to the people in both the civilized world and to the rest of the world, to the, un, to the educated and to the uneducated alike. Does anybody have another translation like the New King James or the King James? What does it say instead of the uncivilized? Does it use the word barbarian? Your, words, your, your Bible says barbarian? Yeah, so he says, I'm under obligation to people in both the civilized and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated. Uh, so basically... Paul was doing this on purpose. Paul was saying that when he was saying this, that the gospel was for everyone. So let me give you some context. The Jews, they thought, man, this thing is only for us. And they had a hard time accepting the Gentiles. Right. So the Jews, they thought this is only for us. This is God's covenant to us. Well, then the Gentiles thought, right, if you don't speak Greek, you're just a moron and you're a barbarian and you're uncivilized. And so Paul was literally saying that I have this obligation, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a barbarian. And so they actually considered anybody that didn't speak Greek to be a barbarian. And so what's funny is Paul was actually appealing to the Spanish speaking slaves that were in Rome at this time. So kind of the principle behind this is the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. This applies to everyone. And I know that in 2021, that seems like such a duh, you know, we all get that. But, you know, you think about a hundred years ago, we had African slaves. We had slaves that you know, they were African-Americans that literally, why did they feel like they had the right to treat those people the way that they treated them back in those times? Because they actually saw them as not human. They saw them as less of a human being. That we as this race are, 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 are more dominant. We're the dominant species. You're a subdominant species. And so Paul, thousands of years ago, completely settled that argument and said, this is the same message that's true for everyone, whether you're black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, it doesn't matter. He said, I'm, ob I'm obligated to bring the gospel to everyone. So let's keep reading. Verse, let's see here, verse 14. Verse 15. So he says, I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. Okay, so I want you to write this down if you're, if you're studying this as a piece of literature. We're about to read verses 16 and 17. And Paul is giving the theme for the entire letter. So, let's read it. He says, for I am not ashamed. So Paul is basically, again, he's writing this letter. He's introducing himself. He's telling them why I'm writing it, my attention's behind it, and now he's about to make a point. And then through the rest of the book of Romans, he's going to spend all of his time proving the point that he's about to make right now, which is this. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. 
This good news tells us how, we are, how God makes us right in His sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. We're going to take a moment and break some things down from that. But if you want to know the theme for the entire book of Romans, it's this right here. Justification by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Paul was making a point. We have been justified, and we covered this last week, but I'll ask you, what does justified mean? Yeah, made right. Miss Kim said, just as if you never even sinned. So Paul's main point that he's saying, this is my point of writing this letter, that God has literally made it just as if you never even sinned by grace through Jesus Christ. And now he's going to spend the rest of this letter proving that, that we have been made just, we've been justified by grace through Jesus Christ. Before we get into this and, and take apart verses 16 and 17, I want to kind of talk about what is grace. There's many different definitions that, you know, because grace is so big. It's such a big word that it has so many different applications. But I was really thinking about this. And in a nutshell... Grace is God extending His hand to us. That's what grace is. If you want to know what a picture of grace is, it's hard to really explain, but think about this. God extending His hand down to us. He looks down at us and He just holds His hand out. And we're looking at that hand and we say, but Lord, you know, I've sinned. And He says, it's okay. I forgive you. But you look up, He's holding His hand out. Lord, you're looking at the hand of God being extended to you. Lord, I don't, but I don't deserve that. I know. But Lord, you know, I'm not a perfect person. And then the Lord's just holding His hand out. I know. Lord, I have not earned any of... Like, you're trying to give this thing to me right now, and I haven't done anything. In fact, I've done a lot of things to not deserve it. And He still holds His hand out and says, I know, and yet I still give it to you. That's a picture of what grace is. It's completely free. It's completely undeserved. It's the grace of God. And so Paul is writing this letter telling them God has given you salvation and He's justified you by His grace, not by your works, not by your performance. And it's crazy that here we are thousands of years later still fighting the same battle that Paul, you're going to see if you stick with this Bible study. When we get into chapters 3, 4, and 5, man, I'm telling you, it will, I'm telling you, it's going to change all of our lives. But Paul settled this argument thousands of years ago. God extends His hands to us, and we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Even though we've sinned, He still gives it to us completely freely. Amen. That is the theme. So that's what grace is. And he's, this is the message of the Gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for me. And, and, and I want to say this. The good news, we talked about this last week. The gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. That's what it means. Amen. What is the good news? There's two parts to it. Number one, it's that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ died so that we could be forgiven. Right? That's one aspect of it. That we could be justified. He died so that we could become the righteousness of God. Amen. 
You know, you think about that, it says that he who knew no sin became our sin. Jesus didn't just forgive our sin. I want you to think about it. He literally became our sin. And then God killed him. He was crucified so that we could become the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to become? I am. It's like people are just trying and striving and they think that they're going to be righteous by your actions. Right? You see so many Christians still doing that. They're so religious. They're still trying to earn this thing from God instead of realizing that when God sees them, they are righteous. They have become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is the Gospel message. So, you know, when you see this, to kind of give you some context, Paul was writing to this Roman church and there was a bunch of Jews in this church that were trying to do what's still happening today. They were trying to teach a a kind of half-Christianity, half-Judaism thing to these Gentile believers. So they were saying, yeah, we believe that Jesus is the way. Just like most denominations and religions today. You know, the Catholics, they believe in Jesus. They don't deny Jesus, but that's what they would say. We believe that Jesus is the way, but it's not just Jesus It's Jesus plus your works equals salvation. It's Jesus plus what you do. It's Jesus plus, you know, reading your Bible 17 times a day and spinning spinning around five times and, and dropping down and praying three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. That's what makes you right with God. And so that's the struggle that they thought was like, man, you know, they constantly struggled. Are we really right with God? Are we really close to God? Does God's blessing on our life depend on us doing all of these things? And, and Paul just broke it all down and said, nope, God gives it to you freely, not based off of what you do, but based off of faith. This is the gospel message. Amen. So this was completely, you know, when Paul preached this message of grace, this free grace, it really made the Jews mad. Why would it make them mad? Because they, they heard this message and they said, Paul, if what you're saying is true, it means that we are wasting all of our time doing all this other stuff that doesn't mean anything. That's all that religion is. Wasting all your time trying to earn something with God. You know, reading this book, it's so funny, but it talked about praying in faith. And you know, people will do that. They'll kind of boast about it. Brother, I prayed, I interceded all night long. I stayed on my knees for 13 hours last night, praying for breakthrough, praying for, and it's like, but you understand grace? It's like, prayer is great. Whenever it's led by the Holy Ghost and that's what you're supposed to do, that's wonderful. But when you're doing it from this mindset of like, you know, God won't hear me until I break past hour number three, You know, there's people that think like that. If you want God to hear your prayers, then you need to at least fast for two days. Because if you don't fast for two days, God doesn't hear your prayer until after that 48-hour mark. God doesn't hear your prayer until you've at least read three chapters a day for 31 days straight. Then, you know, then God's... Now you're in right standing. Now God can hear your prayer. That's religion. And that's not the message of grace. And that really ticked these Jews off because they had, all, they had all of these things that they were doing trying to put on these Gentile believers. 
And I love this. You know, because basically they would come to these Christians and they would come to Paul and they would say, well, Paul, you know, that, that's offensive to me. That's offensive that you're preaching this message of grace. That pretty much undermines everything that we're doing. And I love what Paul said. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Paul, that just seems a little bit crazy that God would just do that. I'm not ashamed. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. Write this point down. The message of undeserved grace is the power of God to salvation. Let me ask this. One of you that has a different translation, what does yours say in verse 16? I'm not ashamed. Mine says, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. What does yours say? Mine says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it's God's power, working unto salvation, for deliverance from eternal death, to everyone who believes with a personal trust and confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You got the amplified, don't you? Okay. <laughs> What's it, what, what, what does yours say? I love like the New King James. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. So we talked about grace for a moment. Were you going to say? What were you going to say, brother? Okay, no, I, I was listening to you. You said you was looking, that you like the King James one. And read that, read that again, 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Gentile. Okay, because mine, and that's King James Version in, in Romans uh, 116, okay, no wonder. I, I oh, you're reading something, you're like, okay, ours is saying something completely different. You're like, if I was going to, you're like, I'm definitely King James all the way now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The message, yeah, I'm going to break it down. The message of undeserved grace is the power of God to salvation. So, what Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of this message. You know, as we read through Romans, he's going to talk about what the message of the gospel is, what this message of grace is. He says, I'm not ashamed of it because it is actually the power of God unto salvation. So let's talk about that for, for a minute. But first, let's ask the question, what is salvation? I asked you this question last week. Go ahead. Deliverance from eternal death. You know, but when most people think of salvation, this is why we have such a small picture of God and, and, and we really suffer with a lot of things that we don't have, you know, have to, is there's a word in the Greek used for salvation all throughout the New Testament, and it's the word sozo. So when most people think about salvation, they just think, well, God forgives me so that I don't have to, you know, go to hell one day, I get to go to heaven. Well, that's true, but that's only one part. That's like one little piece 
of, of a, one little slice of a pie, of a whole pie. There's so many other parts. There's so many other pieces to the, to the word salvation. So that word sozo, it literally means to heal, to preserve, to save, to be whole, to deliver, to prosper. You know, prosperity is actually in the word sozo. So when you think about Jesus, he didn't just purchase, you know, my right, my train ticket to go to heaven. That's why when you see Jesus on this earth, he didn't just go around and forgive sinners. He went around and forgave sinners. Matthew 8, 17, he went around and he did what? He healed the sick. Didn't matter what their sickness was or what their disease was. He went around and he cast out demons. He set the captive free. He opened the eyes of the blind. He went around doing good and destroying the works of the devil. So if you actually look at the ministry of Jesus, you see this word sozo. You literally see it modeled right in front of your eyes. He did not just come to give us spiritual liberty. He came to set us free from disease, from uh, uh, sin, from poverty. Where do you see that? Jesus didn't only heal the sick. He didn't only forgive sinners like he did the, the woman caught in adultery. You see the prosperity. You see that the first time that he calls Peter and the other disciples, what does he do? It says, he says, cast your net on the other side. And when they did, their nets got so filled with fish that their boat began to sink. And then he brought another boat out and then they threw that net in and it got so full that it began to sink as well. You know, when Jesus fed the multitudes, the thousands, it says that they not only ate, you know, just enough, they ate till they were, they were filled, until they were full, and there was still plenty left over. Amen. So you really see all of this. God is not only, you know, God has so many names. El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer, Jehovah Jireh. The God, my provider. There's so many different assets of, of who God is. So true salvation affects your whole being, your body, your soul, and your spirit. So really, true salvation is being delivered soul, body, and spirit. Did you know that a human being is three parts? You're not just a human body. You're, you, you are actually a spirit. You just have a body. That's why your body can die and you can still be very much alive and be present with the Lord because, you know, this is just a flesh suit. We are not just flesh beings. We are spiritual beings. We are spirits that have a body. So Jesus' salvation affects all three parts of the human being. Soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Spirit and body. So when Paul said... I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You think about this grace, this message of undeserved grace is the power of God unto healing, the power of God unto salvation, the power of God unto deliverance, being set free. So how does that work? How does, that, how does that work? Paul said when this, when, this un, when this message of grace is preached, it is the power of God unto your sozo salvation. How does that work? The message of grace. It works by this. When you actually hear the true message of grace, 
you start to say, wait a second, you mean I don't have to earn my righteousness? Wait, I don't have to earn my healing from God? I don't have to earn my blessing from God? Hey, hold on a second. You're going to tell me that none of this is based off of my performance? So I don't have to earn my righteousness. I don't have to earn my blessing. I don't have to earn any of of this from God. He just extends His hand freely down to me through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't have to earn any of it. Wait, what does that mean? That means I can have it right now because I'm not disqualified from it and there's nothing else I have to do to attain it. I can have it right now and that is the power of God to receive every benefit of salvation. Man, that's good. The moment that you have that revelation, and I'm telling you guys right now, there's so many people, they're still caught up in religion. Even when it comes to like the faith stuff. You know, we can get confused. And, and they try to use principles from the Bible to earn something from God. Like, yeah, I need healing. So what are they going to do? Well, if I'm going to get my healing, then that means I need to dance around three times and I need to confess this six times. And, I need to, and I'm not saying that confession and all of that's you know, it, it's in the Bible, but they're still in this earn it mentality with God. And they end up not seeing it And then they start asking themselves the question, well, you know what? I guess I didn't see it because I didn't confess it enough. I guess I didn't see it because, you know, there must have been something that I didn't do enough. No, you didn't see it because you stepped out of grace. Instead of just realizing, receiving, God gives it to me freely. I can receive it right now. And you truly get that revelation. Boom. You have it in your life. Does that make sense to everybody? Hopefully, I'm, I'm, Lord help me if I'm not breaking this down good enough. This is just kind of a reiteration, but when the simple gospel, when the simple gospel of grace is preached, the power of God is released for you to have all of the promises of it. And again, it's just what we said. Why is that? When the simple gospel of grace is preached, the power of God is released. Why? Because the message of grace says that God gives freely and all you have to do is accept it. I mean, you think about that woman caught in adultery. She didn't have to do anything besides accept it. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Lord, I don't deserve that. I was just sleeping with a man I'm not married to. I know. What do you mean you know? I know. And he extends his hand. What does she have to do? Okay, well, I guess I better get around and do the Christian hokey pokey. And No, no. Literally, all she had to do was accept the extended hand. Okay. All right, Lord. That's how grace works. Look at verse 17. So this is the theme of the entire book. I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, severing everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news, look at this, tells us how we are made right in His sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I want to take just a moment and tell you a story. 
This was actually the verse that the Protestant Reformation was birthed out of. Has everybody heard of the Protestant Reformation? For me? If you haven't, that's okay. So the Protestant... So think about this. This is interesting. What is the Protestant Reformation? If you break that word down, Protestant, it's really protestant. Protest. So you think modern Christianity was actually birthed out of protest. When a man stepped up and began to protest the Catholic Church and then... What, what we know now today is Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, doesn't matter. Any section of Christianity that's not Catholicism, that is defined as Protestant. So, what was the Protestant Reformation? Well, have you ever heard of Martin Luther? Anybody heard of Martin Luther before? I'm not talking about Martin Luther King, you know, the dude that had a dream. I'm talking about the original guy he was named after. His name was Martin Luther. He lived in Germany. So let me kind of give you some backstory here. This was during the Dark Ages. So during these times, the church was very corrupt. Uh, I'll kind of back up just a little bit. You had Christianity. When Jesus came and He did all that He did, the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. You have Apostles Paul ministry now that goes into the Roman Empire. And now you have churches forming all over the Asia Minor, all over the Greek world, all over the Roman Empire. You have churches and Christianity just popping up and exploding everywhere. Well, Rome began to rot because they were doing a lot of things like the United States is right now. They started embracing homosexuality. Uh, it became very common in their society that a man has a wife, but he also had a boyfriend and a little kid on the side that he could express all of his sexual desires with. That became accepted in society. You know what happened? That society collapsed within itself. That's what the Word of God says. It's moral rot. It destroys a nation. And so what ended up happening was there was an emperor named Constantine that he saw his entire empire that had dominated the world for so long falling apart before his very eyes. And they saw that there was this little bitty group called the Way, the Christians, that were thriving and prospering. And he looked at that, and I don't know, you know, nobody knows the heart, only the Lord. I'm not trying to judge his motives, but he looked at that and he said, that's the only thing that's working. So, like, pretty much overnight, he made Christianity the predominant religion of the Roman Empire. But he didn't do it in a gospel way. You know, he did it in a way where they were taking people down to rivers and holding swords to their neck and saying, be baptized or we're cutting your head off. You know, crusader style. So what do you end up having? People that weren't truly giving their hearts to Jesus, uh, taking the paganism of the Roman Empire, because they were polytheistic. I know I may be using some crazy words, but what, basically what polytheistic means is they believed in many gods. They didn't have one god. They had a god of the air, a god of the sea, a god of the volcano, a god of the dog turd over there. You know, they had a god for everything. And they took this, this polytheistic pagan society and now they start mixing Christianity. Now they just put a little Jesus in it, a little sprinkle of this. And what do you have? The birth of Roman Catholicism. It became very corrupt. You had popes, you know, that came down through the generations, and you enter now into Martin Luther's time. I think I believe it was in the was it the 1300s? Was it the 1500s? 13? 1300s. So you have about 1300 years 
of this taking place where the craziest stuff was happening, guys. So, you know, they totally just made this like religion to control people. And what they began to do was saying, this is holy scriptures and it's not fit for the average man. And you, there's no way. If you were a woman and tried to read the scriptures, I mean, they'd kill you on the spot. There's no woman going to read this. This is not fit for the average man to read. And so they said, you have to be ordained by the church. You have to become a priest. You have to become a monk. You have to be trained by us in order to even be qualified to read it. So as time went on, the only texts that they had were written in Latin. So this is what's funny, is that as, as society progressed, nobody even spoke Latin anymore. It was like a dead language. And so you think about church meetings in the 1300s, you know, basically it would look like a guy standing up and opening this giant book that's chained to this pulpit. Just chained to it so nobody could take it, right? Oh my God, don't let anybody take that home and read it. Well, I mean, can you imagine what'll happen? Uh, chained to the pulpit, open it up, and, and he would stand in front of the congregation and recite something that's in a language that nobody understands and nobody knows. You know, like me getting up here speaking in tongues and then saying, the Lord says all of you need to give 30% of your income to help us build the temple in Rome. The Lord says, and they begin to literally use their power because nobody had access to the Word of God to, to, to literally manipulate people's lives. It was so corrupt. You know, and this is the other crazy thing as well. One of the main points of that time was that the Pope, his word was, was equal to the Word of God. So if the Pope said it, that was the Word of God. And can I tell you, that's still the demonic thing about Catholicism. Is that a Pope can rise up, and it doesn't matter what the Bible says. They can say, well, you know, the Pope, he went and he got a new revelation from God. And now homosexuality is okay. The Lord said that that was for the past, and now we've moved on into a new age. They, they accept that as the Word of God, just like the Bible is the Word of God. You can see how that's manipulative and how that can get you know, sideways really fast. So there was this man named Martin Luther. That's okay. We'll, we'll finish this next week, but I'll finish this story. There was this man named Martin Luther. And y'all, make sure you come for the month of October because I'm going to talk all about the Protestant Reformation in October. It's going to be good. If you enjoy stuff like this, I do. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. And he... You know, so he was this monk. He was zealous for the Lord. He went through all this training. You know, you got to think about the times that they were in. Like these people, they were so desperate trying to be made right with God. They would literally take whips and whip themselves like Jesus was, was flogged. And they thought, well, I'm chastising the flesh. You know, I'm really earning, uh, uh, I'm really receiving approval from God when I'm doing things like this. You know, they would fast until they were at the point of death. They would literally fast for so many days until they were right at the brink of dying. And then they're like, okay, you know, we're earning something with God. And so there's this young guy named Martin Luther, and he says, you know, I want to be a priest. I want to be a monk. And they said, okay, well, we're going to send you to monk school. So they sent him to monk school. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. They sent him away. What happened at monk school? He learned how to read Latin. And this was a guy that actually cared. He actually loved the Lord. And he thought, you know, he was doing what he was always told. He learned how to read Latin. 
Well, now all of a sudden they hand him this Bible and they're like, okay, go be a good priest. You know, tell the people what we say. He began to read this Bible. And he came to Romans 1, verse 17, that says, the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. They had been told, hey, if you want to get to heaven, you know, you need to pay $300. If you pay us $300, then the Pope will give you a good word and they'll write your name in heaven and you know, you'll, you'll earn your way out of purgatory. He read this and something birthed on the inside of him. And he said, wait, hold on a second. So this says, I don't have to whip myself in the back to be made right with God. This says, I don't have to fast until I'm at the point of starvation to be made right with God. This says, and he says, the Bible says, we are justified by faith, by grace, through Jesus Christ, we receive justification. And so what ended up taking place was Martin Luther, he went and he made what's called the 95 Thesis. It was basically a paper that he wrote that was 95 points. And he went and he nailed it to the front door of the local church in the town that he was in. Basically refuting the Pope, refuting the authority, challenging the authority of the Pope and of the church. Guys, can I tell you, this is what we come from. When he did that, it wasn't like the United States, like, oh, let's just sit down and let's have a debate, you know, and then let's let the... If you challenge the authority of the Pope, you're going to die. They're going to kill you. You're doing witchcraft. We're going to put you on a stake and burn you alive. He went there, imagine that, knowing that I mean, he was signing his own death certificate and he nailed the 95 thesis to the front of the door. And I'm telling you, it's what's so crazy that we live in a generation right now that, that tells you, if you disobey your authority, right? Romans 13, submit to all governing authority. If you don't, you're not walking in love. I'm sure glad that Martin Luther didn't do that. I'm sure glad that Martin Luther looked at this word and said, hey, hold on a second. What you're saying is different than what this is saying, and you're destroying people's lives, and somebody has to stand up and say something about it, even if it costs me my life. And it, you know, he was willing to give his life. One of the main points that Martin Luther made was a phrase called sola scriptura, which means the scripture alone. So basically what Martin Luther said was, this is the authority of God, not the Pope, not what the Pope says, the Scripture and the Scripture alone is the authority of God. Amen. And so righteousness by faith is what he preached. I love that story so much. So you end up seeing what ended up taking place. You know, he starts to preach this message. And so Martin Luther went. This was right in Germany at this time. The printing press just, just came, uh, was just made, where they were able to take a document and copy it and, and kind of multiply it on a mass scale. It was the first time in history anything like that had ever taken place. So what did Martin Luther do? They took his 95 thesis that he, that he wrote, and they multiplied that sucker and sent it out all over Germany. 
And now all of a sudden, these people who were, you know, they don't read Latin. All they know is what the Pope is telling them, what the priest is telling them. They're getting this document. They're going to the local bar, and this sucker's nailed on the front door or on the little bulletin board, and they're all, imagine crowds gathered around or somebody holding it up in a public restaurant reading it. And they're going to their little popes and their little priests and monks, and they're saying, what the heck have you guys been telling us? And it caused a revival that took place that shaped history and well, where now the modern church was birthed out of the Protestant Reformation. It's kind of funny, you think about Martin Luther. He got set free from religion in one moment by the Word of God. If you read about his story, you know, he, he actually went on to start a secret Bible college in the woods in this old run-down castle. So it's like, guys, just imagine the caliber of Christian back then. I mean, and I'm telling you, we got to get back to this. Like, we got to stop being, I know, we're preaching a series about love. But loving doesn't just mean compromising the Word of God. It, it mean, you, truly loving means sometimes you have to take a stand in your generation because you love it too much to be quiet. I mean, loving is like, I love this country too much. I love the church. I love our state. I love, I love this so much. That I can't be silent. You know, you think about this. They already had a hit on Martin Luther. They were actually sentencing him to death. And as he was, as he was being driven away to go to prison to be executed, these bandits came and stopped and basically set him free from the little carriage that he was in, took him into the woods, and he went into... Uh, this little castle that was secluded and, and it was just abandoned. And he began to write the Bible in German and then use a printing press and mass produce it and start sending it out to all the people. And so what ended up taking place? Was it a bunch of wimpy, scared Christians that were afraid of their lives? No, men by the multitude started coming to the woods saying, we want you to train us. We want you to teach us. We want you to train us up so we can go back to our cities and make a stand and preach the gospel. And I mean, it just this whole revival took place. Martin Luther ended up getting married and he thought, man, this is pretty cool. Get a wife, got a couple of kids. Tell you something that's really funny. This will kind of, you know, offend the. You know why we have church at 10 to 11 o'clock? In the early church, it was actually tradition that they had church at sunrise. That was because that's when Jesus was resurrected. They celebrated it was a sunrise service. Do you know why the modern church, like we have church normally about 10 to 11 o'clock, that's kind of like the normal thing? It's because Martin Luther, he got free from religion. I'm not saying go do this. I'm just telling you, this is the God honest truth. As much as we don't like it, it's true. Uh, him and his Bible college students would go to the little local tavern and they'd stay up all night drinking butterbeer talking about the bible and so they didn't want to get up at sunrise to have church so they would get up about 10 o'clock 11 o'clock and start having church at, and that's literally why we have church in the modern time at like 10 to 11 o'clock it came from that it's pretty crazy it's true i know i'm like oh i don't want to but i mean it is what it is it's the truth amen and god used this man to change history Hallelujah. It's true. It was. So we'll get back into Romans 
117 next week. I don't know. Maybe hopefully from that story, God just stirs something in our spirit. Makes it come alive for us today. Gives us application. What do we need to do? Guys, I'm telling you right now, there is a time to, to be quiet, but there's also a time where we, we have to stand against something. We have to make a stand. We have to start saying no. We have to start pushing back. You know, and I, I believe that that spirit that they carried, the same spirit that we carried when we, when we birthed this nation in the 1700s, that's, that's a spirit, that's a boldness that this generation needs. So Father, we just ask You in the name of Jesus, as we're stirred by Your Word, we, Lord, we're just so thankful for Your Word. We're so thankful for the fathers of the past. Lord, let the Holy Spirit stir us today. Give us a boldness. Give us eyes to see. We don't, we don't want to just be like the Christians of that time that went along with everything and that we're just sheep led straight to the slaughter. We want to be like Martin Luther. We want to be like uh, John Alexander Dowie. We want to be like these great patriarchs of the past that received this message of faith, that received this message of grace, that, that understood the message of the gospel and took it to their generation. Father, show us how to stand. Give us a courage and a boldness to stand and fight our fight. They fought their fight so that we could be here today. And we have a fight that we have to stand and fight right now for our children and our grandchildren. Lord, that they would not inherit a world that is stripped of its freedom. That they would not inherit a United States of America where there's just this demonic left liberal agenda shoved down their throats where they have to be vaccinated to go to the store. They have to have a, an ID card to go to school. We're not going to let that happen. Show us how to stand. Give us the courage and boldness to fight and push against a wicked system. We thank You, Lord. We give You all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time. This is John Wallace.